morning. Uh, before we get too far in, let's remind ourselves of a few things that are happening here today. Um, well, this coming month anyway. Today, we do have a missions lunch after second service. Uh, you're able to, if you, if you want, um, we'll definitely come and eat. Um, don't pass up a meal. Uh, but you're also uh, invited to donate some more to Amanda and uh, Block Ministry and Epo House. All that kind of goes together uh, for, her, for her service. And we want to continue to send her uh, support, both monetarily and uh, spiritually, uh, physically, uh, if, if that's something that's on your heart. So please keep those things in mind. Also, we got our Clippers game coming up, and most of you or many of you have already got your tickets uh, bought and you're ready to go, but uh, I think we can't buy any more at this point because we don't have time to order them. Um, student mission trip leaves on the 5th. That's a Saturday, 5th of August, and um, I, want you to have a, I want you to pray over these, these kids and over the people that are leading this mission trip, we'll have a chance to do that as a church a little bit later on. Uh, then on the 27th, <clears throat> we have our, our picnic, our church picnic. Now, we're only going to do uh, one service on the 27th, all right? One service on the 27th, and it'll be at 10 o'clock. And I'll remind you this more as we go, as we go forward. Uh, but the other neat thing about that is that's going to be a student Sunday. Uh, student's going to be running that, Cody's going to be running that, and uh, we get a chance to hear uh, from them, and also they get a chance to serve you. We don't do that very often, maybe we need to do that more, but it's something to look forward to, and so I encourage you to be here. That'll be just a big celebration all day long, uh, August 27th, one service, you'll be able to be here for that. Um, on the 20th, this isn't on your, on your screen there, but on the 20th, which is a Sunday, 20th of August. I encourage you to be here. Glenn Shady from French Christian Mission is going to be here speaking. If you haven't had a chance to meet Glenn and Jessica Shady and their kids, you should do that. They're, they're just a fantastic family. And they're, they're surfing in uh, a, a, an area of the world, believe it or not, in France, in Paris, France in particular, that particularly right now is extremely difficult uh, to serve and grow churches. So it... Uh, it would help you and certainly help them to be here on the 20th to listen to Glenn. <clears throat> I think that Amanda's lesson and testimony last week was, was very powerful, um, opened our eyes to some of the things that she does and some of the needs of people that she cares about and we ought to care about as well. So I appreciate you being here for that. And we can always be in touch. You know, we can always contact our missionaries, talk to our missionaries about what they're doing and how they're getting along and all those things. So I encourage you to do that as well. Our missions team uh, stays in contact with all of our missions. Um, and we'll have a chance again to support her a little bit more later on today. Now I'll have all special things for you, special information during our lunch, some VBS recap stuff and things like that. Uh, I've got the numbers in there somewhere. I think our biggest night for kids was about 110. Our biggest night for 
uh, people, or for uh, kids or people, um, for volunteers, uh, was about 87. A lot of people wanting to serve and help uh, Vacation Bible School. We raised over $4,000 for Amanda um, from kids just bringing in, uh, bringing in money and people donating to that. Uh, and so that's really going to be beneficial for her and for block ministry. I appreciate everybody who's part of that, sends their kids here, and who supports uh, Amanda and, and her mission. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you. We get the chance to learn, to study, to read, to know, and to apply your word. I thank you, Father, that's a tremendous gift. And you've done that for us. This is not something that we've earned, but it's a gift that you've granted, and I thank you for it. I thank you that we get to be a part of a body and a part of a church where we can be loved and where we can love others, where we can be served and we can serve others. I thank you, Father, that all of this is because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, a gift, a gift, not a wage. Help us, Father, to uh, not just believe that, but to live that out in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. Eat the flesh and drink the blood. Eat the flesh and drink the blood. Sounds a little weird, doesn't it? I mean, just off the top, sounds strange. You know, there's a point in Jesus' ministry, and this is not in Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to get to Nehemiah chapter 8 in a minute. There's a point in Jesus' ministry where he has crowds following him. Uh, physically following him, where he wants to go, what's, you know, wherever he's going around the Sea of Galilee at the time. A lot of people, uh, thousands of people actually, trying to go where Jesus goes. And when he realizes that there's this many people that are following him, that there's this many people that want to be in his presence, he turns around to the crowd and and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. The Bible says at that point, a lot of the disciples turned back. A lot of these people that were following said, no, that's, <clears throat> that's too much. We're not going to do that. We're not going to participate in those things. <clears throat> and the interesting thing is, Jesus doesn't go after them. He says, all right, you want to go? Go. This is truth. This is what's needed. This is what's necessary. And I'm not going to change that. I'm not going to pretend that it's not important, so he lets him go. It's a, it's a very sad moment, tragic moment in Scripture. And I don't know what happens to all of those people that stop following Jesus around. I do know that he asked them... Because a little bit earlier, a matter of fact, the day before in his ministry, he was teaching and preaching. And there was, again, large crowds there, at least 5,000, uh, probably more. And they had a chance to participate in, in a miracle. Jesus ended up feeding, giving food to... 5,000 people with just a few fish and, and a few loaves of bread. You've probably heard that story before. And it was nice. 
and it was fun, and it was easy, and it was comfortable. They were sitting down on the grass, and they were having a picnic, and they were listening to Jesus talk. And so wherever Jesus went, they wanted to go. And he confronts them about it. He says, he says why, are you follow, why are you doing this? Why are you following me? He says, is it because that you actually hang upon the words that I say? Or is it because, and I'm paraphrasing here, is it because yesterday was just a good and fun day? You know, your bellies are full. I didn't ask anything of you yesterday. I didn't challenge you. I didn't demand anything. You got to sit there on the hillside and listen to me teach and preach. Now you want more of that. Or do you care about my words? Do you care about being changed? Do you care about giving up this life and taking on real life, true life? And a lot of people couldn't accept that. That's not why they were there. They were there because it was fun and it was easy and it was convenient. They enjoyed it. But when they were challenged, they didn't want to. <coughs> Excuse me. Over the past week, we've been teaching Bible stories to your kids. Um, and I think these things are very, very important. I don't think that that this is where these things should stop. These things need to be continued in your home, not just in this church gathering that we have on Sunday morning, but they need to be continued in your home. They need to be taught in your home. They need to be shown in your home because the Word of God is very, very powerful. Not only is it powerful, it's actually quite in-depth. And there's a lot of wonderful and exciting and amazing things in Scripture. These things need to be continued, but there's a point at which I think sometimes we resist this a little bit. We like the Sunday morning, and that's fine, and that's fun, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. We learn, we grow, but then there's after Sunday morning. There's applying the things that we learn in Scripture to our own lives and the, the lives of our kids. There's getting into it ourselves, reading, understanding, asking questions, growing from where we are to where we we want to be or could be, instead of just sitting on the hillside and gleaning what we can. Scripture is incredibly powerful. It does amazing things for you and me, and it helps guide us through this life to change who and what we are. If you're hanging on, if if you're proud of what you are, if you're proud of who you are, prior to Jesus, and you still want to hang on to that, you're doing it wrong. The point is to give your life away. That old life, you give it away. And, and, and usually this comes as a process, right? Because we love who we are, what we are. But over time, we're to give more and more of that life away. That's called sanctification. We get into Scripture, we read, we understand, we are made aware, and then we apply these things. And the Bible leads us through this. Again, we'll get to Nehemiah chapter 8, but on your, on your bulletin, I think we put it on this week, is this verse from Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. A lamp for my feet and a light to my path. 
It gives incredible direction. We're heading out to, we're heading out west here in a few weeks, a couple weeks. And uh, Sam is going to be our navigator. So, yeah. We're, uh, we're, we're resisting that. We're trying to. Um, and uh, we're going to take, uh, we'll, we'll take Google, and we'll take, a, you know, we're taking a tent, and we're taking a map, and that's pretty much all we're taking. Uh, we'll be out there for a couple weeks. I've done it many, many times, but this will be a first for Ashley and Sam. And uh, so we are taking Google, and we're taking a credit card. We'll take those two things. <laughs> See, we'll make it through, I'm, I'm sure. But Sam's going to be the navigator. He's going he's gonna to learn. He's going he's gonna to understand, hopefully, as we... As we go out there, how to read, how to, you know, decipher the maps and so forth, take us where we need to go. And if we don't show back up, well, blame Sam. I, I don't know. But that's what we're going to do. And the Bible is very much the same way. I love the way Psalm 119 describes it. it, it Psalm 119 is, is um, first of all, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. Um, and it talks about the Bible. That's what Psalm 19 is, or 119 is. But really, it's a love poem. It's a love poem between a guy and the Word of God. That's what it is. It's an acrostic, and now you can't see that in, in the English translation, but in the Hebrew translation, it's an acrostic poem. And it's, a, again, a love poem from a person to the Word of God. It contains a whole lot of stuff in there. It's a poetry and all of these things begin, all these lines begin with different Hebrew uh, letters in the alphabet. But of course, the most interesting thing, I think, is the fact that it focuses completely on the Word of God from the very beginning to the very end. Every verse, or almost every verse, contains a reference to the importance of God's Word and the application of it. And if you read through it yourself, again, I, I know we're turning to Nehemiah 8, but, but we'll, this is kicked off from here. If you read through it, you find different words for the Word of God, the law of God, statutes, precepts, decrees, commands, all of this. This is all talking about the Bible. It's all talking about the Word of God. Longest chapter in the Bible focusing specifically on the Bible. The Word of God does primarily four things for us. It gives us illumination. It gives us insight. It gives us direction. And it gives us guidance. In illumination insight, direction, and guidance. First of all, if you're going to read through Scripture, uh, be careful because it's going to give you illumination. Illumination. Church, ignorance is bliss. You've probably heard that before. But illumination makes you, by definition, aware of things. That's what illumination is. Now, we may not understand it. We may not know what to do with it yet. But the Bible illuminates things, awareness of right and wrong, awareness of sin, doing anything that's against the desire of God, that's what sin is. Illumination is awareness that the human being is not perfect. Matter of fact, you're, gonna, you're going to be aware or you're going to find this illumination in your own life. You're going to realize that you're not even the point. You're not the main character. Awareness through Scripture is realizing that there is a moral standard set by a sovereign and that we break that standard all the time. 
the moral standards, perfection. It doesn't matter if you're one step away from perfection or a mile away from perfection. You're not there. And that's the moral standard. This is set up, this is decreed by the very character of God. A good example of illumination is found in Nehemiah. The people have come back from 70 years in Babylon. The Israelite people have come back to Jerusalem from being held captive for 70 years in Babylon. And most of many of you have probably heard the story, Nehemiah builds a wall, uh, the new temple is built, uh, though that temple is smaller and less impressive than Solomon's temple. Then Ezra eventually shows up in another wave from Babylon, and Ezra is there for a reason. Now we'll get to Nehemiah, I'm going to preface this with Ezra ch- uh, chapter 7. Ezra devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws to Israel. That's what Ezra did. That was his job. That was his focus. Even from Babylon until now, he focused on understanding the Word of God and then relaying that information to the people. Nehemiah chapter 8, starting in verse 1, says this, All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They sent out a decree to the people who were in Jerusalem and even outside of Jerusalem. All the Israelites, they wanted to gather them inside of the city. They wanted them to, this is after the wall has been built. This is after the temple has been built. And they said, look, you guys need to come back here because we have something important to do. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. That's what they had. We have the entire and complete canon of Scripture. They didn't have that. They had the first few books that have already been collected, put together, and that's it. Matter of fact, these love poems in 119 are about this small section of the Word of God, and yet even they refer to this as completely life-changing. And yet here we have the entire Word of God. I like what John said about Philemon, how, how all of these things, all of this Scripture is useful for your life and for my life. So they brought out <clears throat> the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women, all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and women and others who could understand, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. They didn't have it in their homes. They didn't have it on their coffee tables, right? They didn't have it on their phones. I don't think they had it on their phones that day, right? They didn't have access to it. And, and, and so Ezra is reading this before essentially the entire nation. And not only is he reading it, they are listening to it. They're, they're taking in, they're feasting upon this Old Testament law. You and I almost, we, we take for granted sometimes. They're feasting on it. They're being filled by it. They're being changed by it. Just having it being read in their hearing. This this public reading 
was supposed to be done every seven years at the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a part of the law. In Deuteronomy 31, Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years in the year for canceling debts during the festival of tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. But this hasn't been done. Not only would people be reminded of things that they'd forgotten over the past seven years, but this law had not been practiced while they were in Babylonian captivity. They needed it. They wanted it. They were thirsting for it. We've got to hear from the Word of God. We've got to hear His laws and decrees. We're not even talking about the gospel message at this point. We want to hear from our sovereign God. It's been a full 70 years since they've done this. A full generation has never heard this public reading of Scripture. Their kids have never heard this public, public reading of Scripture. <clears throat> and we see here illumination. Illumination. Nehemiah 8, verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Listen now. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. This was not joy. These were not tears of joy. This was mourning. Because they are hearing the moral law that they had neglected for 70 years. This is conviction. This is understanding the power of the Word of God, the authority of the Word of God, the fact that it has a moral standard and changes our life when we apply it, at the very least when we hear it. They're crushed by this. Instead of shrugging these things off, complete conviction because they neglected the law and word of God. So I ask you, do you want to eat the flesh and drink the blood? That's what they're doing. This is a people who's eating the flesh and drinking the blood. There's a lot of people who don't care about the word of God. They care about the history of the church. They care about the fact that there is a church. They care about a lot of stuff. But the Word of God has no authority in their life. And they care not to study it. They care not to hear it, to read it. Sometimes, Sometimes it's almost a shame, I think, that we have such access to special things. Because they become unspecial, non-special after a while. It was special to them. So they're being made aware. That's illumination and they're brought to tears. Insight. The Bible brings us insight. Now with this illumination, you may not come to conviction because it's just awareness. But that's where insight comes into play. Insight is more than awareness now. Insight is knowledge or understanding. 
You see, one of the reasons that the reading of the law took so long from morning until midday was that he wasn't just, Edward wasn't just reading it, but he gathered Levites around him. These are servers in the temple. Gathered Levites and, and chosen teachers around him to teach as well as proclaiming the law. Ezra chapter 8, <clears throat> starting in verse 7. The Levites, you ready for this? Here we go. Jeshua. Now, I got to use the verse. I got to use the verse. And if you're going to use the verse, you got to have the names. Bani. I checked this, this pronunciation. Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and there should be one more. Peleah. Those were, the, those were the Israelites. Those were the Levites that instructed. That, you're going to have a quiz on that afterwards, okay? <laughs> they instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. It wasn't just illumination. It was inside as well. They read from the book of law, the law of God, listen, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. It's one thing to read Scripture... It's another thing to actually digest it into your body and let it become a part of who and what you are. Reading Scripture without looking into it, without meditating on it and understanding it, does nothing. It, 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 it causes us to fail to see the importance and the power that comes through the obedience of the Word of God. So it's not just illumination that Scripture gives us, it's also the necessity of understanding, understanding what we're being read. And even if illumination and understanding, even if we have all of those things, it means nothing without acting upon it, without acting upon it. That is direction. Remember, I told you Scripture gives you illumination, it gives you insight, and it gives you direction. When we direct when we direct here or we direct there, what are we doing? We are giving commands in order to reach a goal. That's what directing something is. The Word of God does the same thing. It gives commands so that we reach the goal of what? Reach the goal of finally getting rid of the total self and taking on the image of Christ. This is the goal of you and me. It ought to be the goal of those who profess the name of Christ. If it's not the goal of those who profess the name of Christ, we need to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. Direction is a response to the knowledge you have gained. It's action based upon the insight we've gained. We see a couple of responses in our scene in Nehemiah. First, we see humility. Again, when we look at Nehemiah 8 verse 9, all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. That's humility. That's a response. That's a response to illumination and a response to insight. And then we see celebration, Nehemiah 10, 11 through 12. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Don't grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink and send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words of what? Of the Bible. It was a day of celebration. I mean, it was an entire festival. 
for the entire nation because they got to read the Word of God and understand it. We have it at our fingertips every day. We can read it, we can apply it, and our entire life, generations after us, can be changed. I see this, and I see the importance of it, especially after... This wasn't my original message today. I see the importance of it, especially after the week we just spent. The importance of young kids being raised to know what the Word of God is. I don't know if you have kids, I don't know if you have grandkids, but if you don't know anything about the Word of God, you are a blind person leading a child into destruction. If you care not to know the Word of God, yet profess the name of Jesus, you ought to be ashamed. You ought to be ashamed. That's nothing more than hypocritical thinking. It's hard. It's hard to understand everything. It's hard to be convicted sometimes, isn't it? Because sometimes when we're convicted, we don't like the way we feel. And then sometimes we try to ignore it. I do that sometimes. I know it. I get it. But this is a direction. It's a guide. It's, it's the very nourishment of the Christian life to understand and apply the Word of God. And by the way, when you apply the Word of God, sometimes you're going to screw it up. So what? <laughs> so what? The point is that you read, you understand, and you do with everything that you can to apply the Word of God. You know, when Jesus fed the 5,000, He was provided a couple loaves of bread and a couple fish. You know what He did? He supplied the rest of it. He filled in the gaps. That's what He did. The Holy Spirit does the same thing for us if our hearts and minds are attuned to the desire to serve the Holy Spirit. So we see conviction, we see direction, we see even celebration. Another example of direction after illumination and insight, this is probably one of the greatest moments of direction after illumination and insight that we see in all of Scripture. Now this isn't from Nehemiah, this is Acts chapter 2. This is Peter telling the gospel message to the people on the day of Pentecost. All right, that's illumination. He explains what it is. That's insight. And then the people speak up. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's conviction. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? This is a question for direction. A question for direction. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Change the direction of your life. That's what repentance is. Change the direction of what you serve, of who you serve. Change from serving yourself to serving Jesus. That's repentance. That's a change in direction. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this gift of the Holy Spirit leads us into our fourth aspect of the Word, being a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. That's guidance. Guidance. We have illumination just by reading. We are gaining insight. We respond to direction. And now, church, we have help pursuing that direction. That's guidance. That's guidance. The Word of God gives tremendous guidance. The problem is sometimes we ignore it. 
We ignore the guidance of God because it does require that we put Him before ourselves. Sometimes we think we know better, but that guidance is there for all of us. In many situations in life, not every specific thing you face, but generally speaking, all the decisions you must face. The only way for guidance to work, church, is obedience. You know, this map that we're taking out west, it guides us on our journey. But if the map says turn left and we turn right, don't blame the map when you wind up lost. You understand that? If the Word of God says do and we don't, don't turn around and blame God, the Word, when you wind up lost. This is conviction, it's illumination, it's insight, it's direction, it's guidance. It's too often how we treat the Word. It's often how we treat the Holy Spirit. What did you do to me? Holy Spirit says nothing but tell you the right way to go. James 1, you've heard this before. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. By the way, John, that was my guess. I was not going with Philemon. I was thinking James. You threw a curveball there. I was not, I've never taught Philemon specifically like that. I will in the future. I will give you no credit when I do. Okay. Appreciate that. James says, don't listen, just listen to the words so that you deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You ever afraid you're tricking yourselves all the way to the gates of hell? Don't just read the Word of God. Do what it says. James says, you're living a life of deception. This is why Jesus turned around and thinned the crowd. He didn't want them to deceive themselves. He says, guys, this is getting serious, and you need to take it seriously. It's not just the fun stuff. It, and there is part of it, a lot of it. A lot of it's fun, exciting, joyful, all kinds of stuff. But sometimes there's some difficulty. He says, don't just merely listen to the words that deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks, looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, the law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, then they will be blessed in what they do. God, why haven't you spoken to me? God, why haven't you guided me? God, why haven't you blessed me in my life? God says, why aren't you applying my word, brother? I've made promise after promise after promise to bless your life, your mind, your heart, even your emotions, your perspective on life. Time after time I've made that promise. It's almost as if God says, stop blaming me. Stop blaming me. The Word of God is alive. It's powerful. It changes, again, from what you once were to what you might become. 
as we gain the insight and character of Jesus in our lives. You all have a chance, not a responsibility over yourselves, and you have a responsibility over people that come to you, people that you spend time with, people you're raising, people you're married to, people you, whatever. You have a responsibility to be the church outside of these four walls. That takes insight into the Word of God. I can teach you. I can help you. I love doing that, by the way. We do a lot of things in this church. We, we do a lot of things. None of it, none of it do I like as well. There's something I don't like. But none of it do I like as well as just teaching Scripture. That's my dessert. You might have somebody in your home who can teach you. You might have a friend who can teach you. You might have an elder in the church. You might have a, a, a Sunday school teacher. They just go through and talk about the Word of God. It's a wonderful experience. Your eyes, I, I tell you, it's just one of my favorite things is to read through Scripture and, and, and reveal what's actually happening and what's actually being said and just watch the look on someone's face. Like, I've gone my whole life and never known that. Yeah, it's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. I love that experience. I, I love it when, when, when they read through the Word and they say to themselves, they say to me sometimes, they'll say, you know what, this isn't nearly as confusing as I thought it was. Exactly. Sometimes they even say, you know what, this isn't nearly as hard as I thought it was. Exactly. Sometimes they say, wow, this is a challenge. Exactly. There's all of this wonderful stuff in the Word of God. It's a gift to you, and it's a gift to me. Study it. Read it. Know it. Ask questions about it. I'm always asking questions about Scripture. It's important. It's changed my life, and it's still changing my life. And I hope it changes yours as well. The Word of God is powerful. There's an entire, the longest chapter in the Bible is a love poem. How wonderful the Word of God is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you've given us a tremendous gift in your word, written down, such that particularly today we can, we, can, we can see it, read it whenever we want. We can apply it. Father, I know that this, this, this takes trust. It takes faith. Because there's a lot of times, Father, we think we know better than you do. There's a lot of times you challenge us and we don't like your challenge. There's a lot of times your challenge takes us out of being comfortable. Father, I ask that you'll give us courage. That you'll give us a desire to see the treasures that are encapsulated in your eternal word. That you'll help us to be aware of the wonderful things, not only of your creation, but the things that you promise we ask, Father, you'll help us to learn, to gain insight into our lives and even in the lives of the rest of creation, that we will respond to direction, Father, because we know, we know, Father, that you will guide us. We know that this is important to you. Help it be important to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. Amazing grace. 
there and I can see through the windows here they're getting it all prepped uh, and you also have the chance if you want to to contribute some more to uh, Amanda Rogers and her her ministry uh, hey hey Amanda I, I did. <laughs> Amanda's here just right <laughs> sitting right over there uh, well this was I was was easier in the first service, but I'll say the same thing. Uh, last week, uh, Amanda spoke, and it was very powerful for me personally, and a lot of people in this church, the various things that she does and the ministry that she's involved in. Um, and a lot of people have come up to me over the past week in an expression of appreciation uh, to sort of pass that along. And, um, well, you get a chance today uh, to give some more and also to continue to support this ministry, block ministry, EPO House specifically, uh, with prayer, spiritually, uh, material, with material, all kinds of things. But after service, we're going to have a lunch. Uh, we'll also have a meeting, talk about financials and things like that, but that stuff's always available to you whenever you want. Um, the other thing is our Clippers game is coming up on August 1st. Keep those things in mind. Uh, I think we can't get any more tickets. We've already ordered them, and I don't think we can order any more at this point. Um, on the 5th through the 11th of August, we have a student mission trip. That's going to leave here pretty soon. The 5th is a Saturday. And so I want to ask you to continue to think about our student ministry and Cody and all the people that are going with them to pray for them. We'll have a chance to do that as a church here a little bit uh, later on here next week or maybe a week after. Um, and then August 27th is our annual picnic for this church. We do that and it's going to kind of be a celebration all day. It's going to be a very unique day. We're going to have one service, not two services. We, we, do, we do that before, you know, once in a while. We're going to have one service at 10 o'clock. And it's going to be run by our students. They're going to be teaching, preaching. They're going to be serving. They're going to be doing a lot of stuff. Uh, Cody's going to be a part of that, of course. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We've done that in the past as well. And I think it's beneficial uh, for them. Maybe we need to do it more often. But we'll do that on the 27th. And then we'll have a picnic. And we'll just kind of play all day. And it'll be a, an all-day celebration. Jim, you and Charlotte sitting over there is going to throw me off all morning. I'm not going to be able to get this right. Just so you're aware. If there's any mistakes today or if I read the wrong scripture, just, just blame, don't blame Charlotte. Don't, don't do that. We'll just blame Jim. How's that? That'll be more fun. Uh, so keep those things in mind as we move forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love you've given us. We thank you, Father, that you challenge us and that you give us an opportunity to live out our profession of faith in Jesus. I thank you, Father, that even here today is a gift, a wonderful gift that you've given all of us. This isn't anything that we've earned to be able to come around here and worship together as a body, also to hear from your word and apply it to our lives. And so that's another challenge, Father, that we, we need your strength to respond to today. We ask that we are true and accurate to your word in all ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. 
Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm not going to start there, but that's going to be the meat of of what we're talking about today, Nehemiah chapter 8. Eat the flesh and drink the blood. Eat the flesh and drink the blood. You've probably heard that before, eat the flesh and drink the blood. Weird thing, weird thing to say. Uh, Odd to hear, especially if you're hearing it for the first time. Eat the flesh and drink the blood. Jesus says this. He uh, is confronting a group of people. Confronting a group of people and he says, Hey, look, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. You have no place with me. A lot of people think that they are ready to do that or want to do that or can do that or should do that or do that. But that's a bigger question, I think, than most people realize. And I've seen it in people's lives, that that's a bigger challenge than a lot of times we step up to. The story is, and you've heard this before, there was large crowds following Jesus, thousands of people, at least 5,000, probably more, following Jesus around the Sea of Galilee. And at one point he realizes there's a bunch of people, thousands of people, going where he is going, spending time around him in his presence, and he turns around, he addresses the crowd, and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, essentially, this is not for you. And at that point, at that time, uh, let's see, we see this in John, for example. John says a lot of people turn around and left. A lot of people turn around and left. He looks at the twelve. He says, what about you guys? Now's the chance. And they, they stayed there. They hung around. They said, no, this is, we don't have any other place to go. This is where we're staying. He had to ask this question because he'd been preaching the day before. He'd been preaching the day before on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and there was a large crowd there, but it was a nice day. It was good. If you're familiar with the story, there's a large crowd of people wanting to sit and, and just listen to the teaching of Jesus. That's, it. That's all it was. Sit and listen to the teaching of Jesus. And then during the evening or during that day, a little bit later on in that day, they realize, hey, look, we're getting hungry. Jesus knows everybody's getting hungry. There's one boy there with some fish and, and, and some bread, not very much. And Jesus is able to multiply that and feed thousands of people sitting there while they're just sitting and watching and listening, getting fed, enjoying the day. It was a good day. It was a nice day. It was a fun day. But Jesus also then realizes as the crowds continue to follow him, he says, hey, look, why are you following me? Is it because my words are actually changing your life? Or is it because yesterday you just really enjoyed the day and had a good time? Your bellies are full. He said, unless you understand the difficult times, the hard stuff, the challenge in your life, unless you understand that that also is a part of the Christian walk, you have no place with me. And people left. And the fascinating thing is, Jesus didn't go after him. He didn't follow him. He said, you want to leave? Leave. This is truth. This is scripture. This is real. And I'm not going to change that, says Jesus, essentially. 
if you don't like it. And a lot of people left. I don't know what happened to them. I don't know if they ever came to understand who Christ was. Maybe some of them did. Maybe some of them didn't. But he didn't chase them. Eat the flesh, drink the blood. There's a lot of things about the Christian life, the Christian walk, that are fun and good and enjoyable and nice and convenient and all sorts of wonderful stuff. And you ought to acknowledge those things. And those are great things. And those are wonderful things. But there's other things that we need to do. There's other realities, other parts of this truth that we need to apply to our lives. One of those is just the, the essence of the Word of God itself. To read it, to know it, to understand it. Fairly easy. And then apply it. Do it. And in fact, without doing it, all the other stuff, not only does it not change your life, but it adds wrath to your life. Because ignorance can no longer be pled. It's just outright disobedience at that point. That's the eat the flesh and drink the blood part. Lunches after service are great. Sermons, particularly here, fantastic. <laughs> but then we, there it is, so we got one. <laughs> but we've also got to read, understand, and apply the Word of God to our lives. Whether you're sitting here or not, that's eating the flesh, that's drinking the blood. That's a part of it, anyway. That's the difficult stuff. Certainly the application. Psalm 119, and I know you're in Nehemiah chapter 8. Psalm 119, verse 105 says this, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. We've been talking about light this year, and we'll continue for a little bit. A lamp to my feet and light to my path. You know, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. And it's interesting that it is all about the Word of God itself. That's what it is. It's the longest chapter in the Word of God, and it's about the Word of God. Matter of fact, if you're curious about what Psalm 119 is, it's a, it's a love poem. It's a love poem from a man to the Word of God. That's what it is. It's an acrostic. It's hard for us to see that in the English version. In the Hebrew version, it, you would get it. It's, a, it's an acrostic form. But it's a love poem about the Word of God and how great it is and how wonderful it is. And it's also a focus in nearly every verse, nearly every section, there's a, a reference to the Word. Sometimes they use words, sometimes law of the Lord, sometimes statutes, precepts, decrees, commands. It's all, that's all means the Word of God. The Word of God does primarily four things, and it does this in a number of different ways to, to a number of different extremes, but it really does four things for us. Number, it gives us illumination, insight, direction, and guidance. Illumination, insight, direction, and guidance. Those are all four different things, but they're all closely related. Illumination, when it comes to being convicted to read the Word, apply it to our life. Illumination. Illumination is awareness. Be careful when you read Scripture, because there's going to be things that you find out that you don't particularly care for, that aren't easy to read. 
that certainly aren't easy to confront in our own life, in reality, in the creation that God has made. There's some hard stuff in Scripture. There's some easy stuff. There's some comforting stuff. There's some challenging stuff. But illumination is awareness, awareness of right and wrong. We turn a blind eye to that many times. Even reading Scripture, we say, well, that must mean this, or they're not talking to me, or somehow I've taken this out of context, or surely this doesn't mean what I think it means. There's illumination of right and wrong. There's awareness of sin. You know what sin is? Doing anything that is against the desire of God, that's sin. Illumination is awareness that the human being, you, me, the human being is not perfect. There's a moral standard we find by reading the Word of God set by a sovereign. And we break that standard all the time. That standard, by the way, is moral perfection, so it doesn't matter if you're an inch away or a mile away. It doesn't matter. It's perfection. To worship God in everything that we do, every thought we have. You know, a great example of illumination is from Nehemiah chapter 8. The people in Nehemiah have come back. The Israelites have come back from captivity. They've been in Babylon for 70 years. They've, they've been ripped from their home through a lot, of, a lot of hardship, a lot of struggle, placed in Babylon as captives for 70 years. And why? Because God loves them. That's why. Why did they go through all that hardship and that struggle and that discipline and all that stuff? Because God loves them. That's why they went through it. You see, that's why He wanted them to, just be, to be trained, to be discipled, to be disciplined. They've been there for 70 years, and now they're coming back to Jerusalem. They're coming back to the area of Israel. Nehemiah builds a wall. The temple is rebuilt, smaller and less impressive than Solomon's, but it's rebuilt. And then Ezra shows up from Babylon coming back home. This all comes in a number of different waves. Ezra shows up, Ezra shows up from Babylon, and Ezra is there for one reason. We find this in Ezra chapter 7. Again, you can hang out in Nehemiah chapter 8. In Ezra chapter 7, we find this. Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. That's why he's there. He's there to show. He's there to tell. He's there to teach. He's there to read. He's there to pass on the wisdom of the Word of God and expose people, to allow people to be exposed to it, to integrate it into their lives. That's why he's there. And we find in Nehemiah chapter 8, starting in verse 1, they call an assembly. After all of this is done, they call an assembly into Jerusalem. Nehemiah, the governor, he, he wants everybody there because something very special is about to happen. Something that rocks them, something just changes their world and changes their life. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. Now, for you and me, that's the Pentateuch, right? That's, that's, those are the books of the law at the very beginning of the Bible. That's all they had. That's what they, they didn't have the completed Word of God, the total canon that we have today, right? We have all kinds of wonderful, beautiful things, the promises, revelations that God has given to us. 
We are on the side of history that sees, that understands, and knows, and can embrace the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we've seen on this side of history, what they had was the law of God. And it was to them nourishment. It was to them something they craved. It's to us sometimes things we forget about. Sometimes things we skip over. I mean, you know as well as I do, a lot of our lessons even here on Sunday morning are often from the New Testament, not even so much from the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, as Jesus would call them. But that's what they had. And it was holy and it was sacred to them. And so they bring it out, bring out the book of the Law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day, in verse 2 of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly which was made up of men and women, all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. This public reading of God's Word, it was meant to be done every seven years at the Feast of Tabernacles. Matter of fact, we, that's actually part of the law. In Deuteronomy, you could read that yourself. Deuteronomy, then uh, Moses commanded them in chapter 31, at the end of every seven years, in the year of canceling debts, during the festival of tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at a place he's going to choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. This was meant to be done every seven years. Now, not only would they be reminded of wonderful things, things that they'd forgotten over the past seven years, but, but also, we find in this case, this hadn't been done for a long time. They were captives in Babylon. They hadn't done this kind of assembly and this kind of public reading of the Word of God for 70 years. A full generation had never heard this. Their kids had never heard this and grandkids had never heard this. It was taken from them. The Word of God, the very life for you and me, was, they were deprived of it. And they were doing anything. This was the feast, the Word of God being read to them, that same Word of God that collects dust on the coffee table. They came from all over because they were going to hear God speak. They were going to hear it through Ezra. They were going to hear it through the law. And we see illumination here, a great example, I think, Nehemiah 8, verse 9. They read this to the people. They read for many, many hours. And then we find this, Nehemiah the governor, the priest and teacher of the law, Ezra, the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. And why did they need to say that? For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Guys, this was not weeping for joy. They were mourning because they'd gone so long, not only without hearing the word of God, but not applying it to their lives. And they were crushed. This is eating the flesh. This is, these people understood what it was to eat the flesh, drink the blood. I'm crushed because I'm not following the law of my God. I haven't even heard it. it Change their lives. Each one of them being convicted in their own hearts. Illumination of this moral law that had been neglected. 
And then there was conviction in the heart. That's what the, that's what the Word of God does. That's what the Word of God does when we choose to consume it, participate in it. Well, illumination in and of itself may not change a life with just illumination. It's a possibility that you might not come to conviction, and that's where insight comes in. Illumination, insight, direction, guidance. Insight. Insight is more than just awareness. Insight is knowledge and understanding. You see, one of the reasons the reading of the law, the reading of the Word of God took so long from morning until midday was that Ezra and, and, and chosen teachers and, and Levites were actually instructing while the law was being read aloud, while the law was being proclaiming, or, or being proclaimed. This was insight. Ezra chapter 8, we find this. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akuba, uh, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kal- Kalita, Ezariah, Josabad, Halan, and there should be one more, Peliah. All of these Levites were helping. They're, they were instructing, teaching these servants of the temple, instructing the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Illumination is one thing, but now we need insight. We need to understand what it is we're reading. We need to understand that we can't apply it to our lives and how it's applied to our lives. This is, this is getting into the meat of Scripture. You know, we can read it, and it's a good read, but until we begin asking questions about it, before, until we begin seeing in context what the Word of God means, before we begin practicing it. And by the way, if you practice the Word of God just like you practice everything else, you're going to mess it up sometimes. It's okay. It's okay. I don't want you to be okay with it, but it's okay if you mess it up and you're pursuing living out the Word of God, the direction of God, guidance of God, the commands of God. After all, Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to obey my commands. There's a lot of people that profess the name of Jesus and don't obey the commands of Jesus. Why do you think people have given up on following God? Why do you think that that's a place and part in our history where more people have given up on the existence of God than ever before? Because people who profess His name don't do what He says. I want to tell you something. If you have the opportunity to teach, to guide, to instruct, if you have influence over a child, grandchild, if you profess the name of Jesus, and you care not about the Word of God, you ought to be ashamed. That's hypocrisy of the first order. That's all that is. You ever wonder if you're fooling yourself all the way to the gates of hell? It's a question I ask myself. It's a question I've asked others. It's a question we all need to ask ourselves. Am I fooling myself all the way? The Word of God is alive, it's active, it's powerful. And church, it's at our fingertips. This was not something that these people had access to. By the way, the Word of God's cheap. I can prove it to you. If you don't have a Bible, come and see me, I'll give you one. It ain't any cheaper than that. Right? 
I mean that, by the way. I give anybody who wants one. I give you this one. <clears throat> right here. I don't use it anyway. I just, no, I'm kidding. Come on. <laughs> the Word of God is serious, and we need to take it seriously because it changes our lives. So even illumination and understanding mean nothing without acting upon it. That's direction. That's direction. You know, when we direct here or there, what are we doing? We're giving commands in order to reach a goal. That's what we're doing. That's the same thing the Word of God does. It gives us commands in order to sanctify us. Sanctify us. That's just another way of saying become more and more like Jesus. In our hearts, our heads, our hands, our feet. It gives us direction to be sanctified. Direction is a response to the knowledge you have gained. So we've had illumination, we're gaining insight, now we have direction. And we see a couple responses in our scene in Nehemiah. First, we see humility. We've already talked about that. Nehemiah 8, uh, verse 9, the second part of verse 9, all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. That's humility, that's conviction. Another response is celebration. Nehemiah 10, 11 through 12, the Levites calmed all the people saying, guys, look, be still for this is a holy day. Don't grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink and send portions of food to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. It was a day of celebration. You know why? Because they got to read the Bible. It was a festival because they got to read the Bible. The entire nation celebrated. Because they got to read the Bible. I don't know, what, what, do we, what do we celebrate? We celebrate things that are special, right? We celebrate momentous occasions. We celebrate all kinds of wonderful things. We're going to celebrate, sort of, right, today, after, after service, celebrate the end of VBS. We're going to celebrate missions. We're going to celebrate wonderful things. You can celebrate when you have the chance to understand, to feast upon the Word of God in your life, when, certainly when you have the chance <clears throat> to be changed by its application. I love this example of direction after illumination and insight. This comes from Acts chapter 2. Peter was talking to the crowds of the day of Pentecost about who Jesus is and what Jesus is. Now, all of a sudden, they've, been, they've become aware. Peter's explaining. They're gaining insight and they act upon it in Acts chapter 2, 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? This is a question for direction. Peter replied, Repent. That's just change direction of your life. Put Jesus first, not you first. That's repentance. Change the course of your life. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit, by the way, leads us into our fourth aspect of the word, being a lamp under our feet and a light under our path, that is guidance, guidance. So we have illumination, we have insight, thank you. We have uh, direction, we have guidance. And this gift of the Holy Spirit is something that helps us in this, pursuing that direction. The Word of God gives tremendous guidance. The Word of God, the work of Him in our lives, sometimes we ignore it. Sometimes we think we know better, but the guidance is there for all of us in many situations in life. And one of the things you have to do is search for for that guidance. Search for it, search for it, search for it. If you think it's supposed to be obvious, you've got this wrong. 
Why do you teach in parables? The disciples asked Jesus. Simple, because those who want to know are going to find out, and those who don't are not. Right? It's meant to be the search. It's meant to look for it, to hear the whisper amongst all the screaming and the yelling and the loudness of this world. And so we find, we understand the guidance, we look for the guidance in Scripture, and we, do not, we dare not ignore it. The guidance is there for all of us in many situations in life, not every specific thing that we face, but generally speaking, everything that we go through in life. And only one way for guidance to work is obedience. You know, a map guides us on our journey, but if the map says turn left and we turn right, don't blame the map when you get lost. Isn't that, how we, isn't that how we treat the Holy Spirit? Isn't that how we treat the Word of God? Word of God says turn left, we turn right, and then we blame God. Or we blame whoever. Don't blame them. You know, Sam's going to, we're, we're heading out west here in a couple weeks. Uh, we're taking a tent and a map. Sam's going to be the navigator. He's going to learn as we go out there. Um, you know, because it's vacation, and every kid wants to learn on vacation, right? So he's going to, we're taking the maps, and he's going to, you know, do all that stuff. Yeah, actually, we're taking, we're, we're taking a tent, a map, and a credit card. That's, that's what we're taking, just in case things, you know. But he's going to have this chance, you know, to learn some of these things, guide and direct. And we can, we can follow the guidance that, that it gives us, the guidance that a map gives us, or we can ignore it and get turned around. Don't treat the Word of God as uh, something to blame when we ignore it. James 1 says this. You've heard this many times. We talk about this all the time here. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Imagine that. Imagine how dangerous that is. Imagine going through life do you suppose there are some that are going through life and actually deceiving themselves, thinking they are saved and not saved? Imagine that. Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at their face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives what? Freedom freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they've heard but doing it they will be what blessed in what they do why aren't you speaking to me holy spirit why aren't you blessing me god where are the promises that you made because we're reading the word and we're not applying it to our lives church all of these things if if you say to yourself that it's difficult if you say to yourself um, that it's hard to find the time or it's hard to find the interest, by the way, read it with me if you're having a hard time finding the interest because there's a lot of wonderful stuff in there. If you say that it's difficult to do these things, church, this is the point. When Jesus turns around and says, unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood, you have no part with me. In other words, there's some hard stuff out there. This is conviction, not passion. Forget about passion. That's ridiculous nonsense. This is conviction of the heart. 
conviction to read and know and study and apply the Word of God. There's a lot of darkness out there. There's a lot of people that want nothing to do with the Word of God. Don't let that encroach your home, your house, this place, your own mind, your own heart. It's granted to you and given, given to you every moment, every moment of every day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you for who you are, Father, and we love you for what you say, what you've given, what you've granted. This word, Father, help us to take this seriously. Help us to feast upon it. Help us to not want to live without it because of its, its precepts, because of its statutes, because of the wonderful things that we can apply to our lives, the direction it gives, the meaning it gives, the value it gives to every person in this room. I thank you, Father, for your word, and I thank you for the opportunity we have not just to learn it but to teach it and to play it out, to live it out in our lives as others look on and wonder what it is to live out the life of Jesus. I thank you, Father, we have that gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a rich life.